1: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world.
2: And if that wasn't enough, we're going to have Brian Cooper joining us via Zoom to talk about his retirement, Josh, Stacy, and Andrew Blair White to talk about their new social media medium, Let's Talk Racing. And all this... In the company of the racing editor of the Sporting Life, Dave Ord. Welcome.
3: Thank you. Jay morning. all well.
2: Is everything okay in terms of the lineup for you? Do you think we have enough <gasps> jammed into today's show?
3: I feared you were one or two short, but now you've reassured me with a later dish. <laughs> you know, I mean, what a show! What a jam-packed.
2: Are you happy the flat turf season has returned? or Are you a real staunch national hunt man?
3: No, I'm not. I'm pleased to see it back, really. And I think this is such an exciting time of the year. Post Cheltenham, we got going at the cover. Doncaster's around the corner. I mean, it's a later national this year, but. Then you hit, you hit the crave and the yeah. Guineas. It's just such a wonderful time of the year.
2: The transition is on where you're trying to remember what happened in last yeah. year's classics. Who were last year's two-year-olds to watch? Uh, can you remember, or is it a case of you having to rejog that memory? It's
3: re- once you get to my age, you have to rejog your memory of yesterday's race, and that alone <laughs> last seasons. But yeah, the, the, when we saw the horses of Aidan's working after racing yesterday, that really did help. And you've got mm. August Rodan and potential talk of triple crowns and things. I mean, that really gets you going. But yeah, it is like schoolwork; you do have to revise and get ready for the new campaign.
2: I'm a bit that way myself. So uh, I, I was watching Japan yesterday, or sorry, I was watching Dubai <laughs> well, yesterday. I was watching Japan in Dubai yeah. yesterday. Uh, We have a Nick look on the ground there. We're going to take through some of the feature races that we saw and some of the stellar performances. Nick, can you hear me?
1: Jane, I can hear you. You've got such a wonderful lineup of guests this morning. I was wondering why you wanted to crowbar me in, but I'm very happy to be here. And I'm very happy to talk about some spectacular action in Dubai.
2: Well, you were on the ground for us yesterday taking in what looked like top class action. I know we should really start with the big race, but come on, Nick, is that horse the best turf horse in the world?
1: Equinox, well, I'd struggle to think of a better one. I mean, it's very rare you see Group 1 races won on the bridle. And I know there's an inclination to wonder whether form early in the calendar year is going to stand up as we go through the European season. But just the impression he left was quite staggering. To smash the track record, albeit on very firm ground, in hand, quickening through the line, posting incredible splits for the final couple of furlongs and then appearing to be very difficult to pull up. He is an outstanding animal, an outstanding athlete. Just watching him move, Jane, you know, biomechanically, as someone who who watches lots of horses day in, day out, he just seems to do everything so effortlessly, so stylishly, so smoothly. It's not difficult to understand why he can perform so effectively because he's, he's clearly economising his effort absolutely brilliantly. Yeah, it was a good ride, but I think you could have strapped me and you to the back of him and he'd still have won.
2: <laughs> And that's saying something. Uh, Christophe Lemaire was obviously very complimentary post-race. He was Japan's horse of the year. Uh, is he as a physical, as imposing as his performance was?
1: Yeah, I think he is. Uh, and the fact that he can run this far, this effectively, uh, but still show that much speed is a, a huge testament to him. And the question now will clearly be, is he going to be pointed towards the arc, which is the holy grail for Japanese race fans? You'd think the way he moves, if it was a soft ground arc, it wouldn't necessarily suit him. But that's that's unproven. We don't know that for sure yet. He's a an unexposed horse and has only had you know, half a dozen or so runs in his life. So... Uh, we would love that to be to be the ultimate target, wouldn't we? Um, and just looking through his pedigree, he's got Tony Bin and Dancing Brave quite close up in his pedigree, considering how long ago they raced. So there is, there is ARC heritage there.
2: There is a chance. And we know the Japanese love to run their best horses in the ARC, and they're not afraid to take on the best in the world. He certainly does look like he is potentially the best turf horse around. Happywood Westover ran very strong to the line.
1: Yeah, that was a massive performance. I mean, I don't think Rafe Beckett's made any great secret that you know he's he's quite a, a a challenging horse to to manage when he's fresh, and we saw that last year in the in the King George, for example. But he's a a wonderfully talented one, and I think Connections can be really proud of what he achieved. And watching the race back again this morning, I hadn't quite appreciated because I was so focused on the winner how hard and well Westover had run through the last couple of furlongs. He actually settled nicely enough in the race, having got quite upset beforehand and down at the start. He was okay in the paddock, but when he got to the start, he got quite washed out and he was quite on his toes. So if, if that brings him forward and he can just learn to switch off and settle and harnesses, natural exuberance during the course of the season he ought to be a force to be reckoned with again in Europe and Rafe Beckett's already planned his campaign quite carefully has already suggested the Coronation Cup's going to be next and given how well balanced he is and how well he handled Epsom that that would seem to be quite a good target I thought that was a big step forward there was probably a little bit of disappointment that he was yeah, he was really like the whole field was absolutely trashed by Equinox but I think time time will tell that that's a, a massive effort from Westover
2: I think you're right. And I think from a European perspective, Westover gives us a barometer as to just how good the winner really is. But of course, that wasn't the feature race of the night. The the World Cup, of course, went to Japan as well, courtesy of Ushba Tesoro. Um, Perhaps not the one we all expected. And there was a brief moment where we thought Simon and Ed Crisford was going to bag the big one. But uh, it was a strong finish and not a lot of horses got involved from behind
1: but algiers did look at algiers the beige colors with the navy cap it was a question of how far i mean I, I was working with a a couple of people who backed this horse who did actually turn around at the top of the stretch and say not too far james um and, and then this happened and it's it's become a bit of a motif of, of world cups when they run at a strong pace and the track gets a bit a little bit more exacting as the night falls And if you've got a horse like Algiers and this is the absolute upper limit of his stamina, then he might always be vulnerable to a deep closer. The winner was sort of hiding in plain sight, really, because it was the only horse from Japan who had a meaningful chance who hadn't run in the Saudi Cup. So we all got bogged down in which of the Saudi Cup runners would come out on top and which ones were flattered and would Pantalassa be able to make the lead again and who was drawn well and who was drawn badly. And this horse was just sitting there with a string of ones by his name and having improved massively for a switch to this surface. The jockey change was interesting as well. I asked the trainer afterwards why Kawada was taking over the ride, and he said, well, he's just the best in Japan. That's, you know, it was an absolute no-brainer. Um, they can always seem to put your overblown questions into a nice, simple, straightforward, logical answer and see things very clearly, perhaps, is why they're dominating world racing. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a talented horse, but he probably needed this setup to excel. They went too fast early.
2: Well, as you say, they, they went a bit fast early. Emblem Road came with a flash. It didn't look like too many from the Saudi Cup really got involved. When you thought Cafe Fair or Pantalasa, and more disappointed. But that was the night. That was for Japan. A special mention as well for the three-time hero Lord North Frankie de Torre. He's got the perfect partnership, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he's a he's a cracking horse this. And I don't, I don't think he's been the, the most straightforward to train. He's had long layoffs through his career, but he's been prepared to win this beautifully three times by by the Gosdens uh and they were a little worried beforehand about just how firm the ground was. But ultimately I think he he does want a sound surface because it enables him at this distance anyway. And it's probably a perfect distance for him, isn't it, Jane? A miles probably a bit sharp. 10 furlong stretches him a bit. 9 furlongs is probably bang on for Lord North and it enables him just to use that turn of foot. If you look at the horse from Japan, who we thought was a bit unlucky when they crossed the line, Danon Beluga flying home from the rear in the hands of Joe Marrera. He thought, well, was he he a little unlucky? Should he have been closer to the pace? But actually it's Lord North's superior tactical speed, I think, and his ability to hold a position through the race and then quicken off it, that's seen him win this. Whereas Danon Beluga just was chopped for a bit of pace down the back um, and probably, ideally, wants a more end-to-end gallop over a little bit further. But yeah, it was great for, for Lord North. It was great to have a, a British-trained winner on a on a card where we'd seen an excellent victory for Ireland in, in Broome. We'd seen wins for Japanese by this point already. We'd seen the United States get on, get on the score sheet and a couple of really um, heartwarming local winners too. So it was uh, good to see the British flag flying and good to see Frankie de Tori rounding off his final Dubai um, riding experience uh, in some style
2: welcome back and I could not be more pleased to be joined by genuinely one of the nicest people you could ever meet and Irish training legend Arthur Moore welcome to the studio
4: thank you Jane thank you for inviting me it's a great privilege
2: Well, I, they asked who did you want you were the first in line and uh, Why not? You've had some fantastic horses. You've had a great career and you've more knowledge than any of us here in the studio combined. Where shall we start?
4: No, well, um, (laughs) you're very kind. I've just been very privileged, very lucky. I've made so many friends, equine and human, through the racing world. Uh, And I've had a fantastic, healthy life Um, and there's no better life than being with horses.
2: If you enjoy it, there's no better place to be. But, of course, you were born into it, a dynasty of your own. Take us back to the days of Dan and John Moore and a certain uh, Lescargo.
4: Yes, well, we go back. My father originally was beaten a short head in the 1938 Grand National.
2: 1938?
4: Yeah, oh. um, by battleship, Bruce Hobbs, And then um, uh, he he actually trained and rode during the f- 40s, and he had the uh, head man run... As trainer and ran in his name because he couldn't do both at the time.
2: Okay, that wasn't allowed?
4: No. And then um, we move on, and I was in downside, and I left downside at the age of 18. And Lascargo had won his bumper in March that year, written by Ben Hanbury, who had been assistant with the fellow for around four years.
2: What age were you when Lascargo was winning his bumper? 18. Y- you weren't given the Lego?
4: I was at school ah. in England. And I left school in June, and he was second. He beat Gary Negri, a horse of Tom Drapers, um, in in Navan. Okay. And the the father fancied the horse very well, and he was a good price. And he had owners in the north of Ireland who were punters, and okay. Raymond Guest wanted to back him. So these guys did the commission. So Guest wanted to send a, lar- a, a, a car up to collect the money.
2: <laughs> there was always always confidence behind this cargo, even from the bumper days.
4: There you are, and. Um, then Gary Negree was second with a thumb draper and Gary McGree beat Lascargo with the penalty in Punchestown wow. and then I stepped in and um, in, uh, left school and... Um, so you didn't go to university? I did, uh, the University of Life. Ah, so the I one
2: that's completely underrated. I
4: started off as a student and um, did Ben was with helped me for a month before he headed back to Newmarket to Bernard van Kutzen and then I, um, there were a couple of guys with my father who had been with him for decades so I applied my trade with them and gradually worked my way in to be sort of assistant trainer. So your dad was one of
2: those professional, you have to earn your way, you're not just going to get the leg up because you're my son?
4: Oh no, no, it was just, it, it was just a gradual process and um, I, I took an interest in nutrition and in um, breeding at the same time but... Uh, and so it worked very well. I, I was privileged then to have the full career. I went eight years in a row with Liscargo to Cheltenham. Eight um, years in a row. Four years to Aintree and uh, two years to America to um, Belmont Park where he won the Temple of Guelphney Chase and then to South Carolina where he's fourth in the, uh, the Colonial Cup. Which I didn't
2: realize. The, he was Horse of the Year in America.
4: He was. And a few years later they inducted him to the Hall of Fame as well. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, He ran 53 races. Amazing. He won 12 and he was placed in 20.
2: And was he just really sound, very hardy, very genuine? What was his biggest Uh, trait? He
4: probably wasn't genuine, but he was very sound. And the reason why he was able to race for so long was he always kept back a bit for himself.
2: Those blinkers were needed, really.
4: The blinkers worked in, in in the first year in the national he was, he fell or were brought down at the chair. Then he was third, second and first. And he trotted up with the blinkers
2: must have been magic days
4: they were indeed they were indeed yeah, yeah. he was an iron horse and that, that's you know he was, deserves that david owens just written a book of read.
2: a book you gave me yeah <laughs> i have to read this you you talk about cheltenham and entry of course winning both races as magic but the gold cup must have been oh, it's one of those fantastic days
4: it was it was indeed and we yeah right yeah, we fancied him. I remember backing him, he was 25 to 1, so he must have fancied He would
2: no blinkers on to this day?
4: Well, he didn't wear blinkers until the Grand National, but he won, I believe.
2: And yes. uh, ta- be. did Tommy ride him most days? Or? He,
4: he rode him in all the big races, yeah. I rode him once in various beginning of the season. He wasn't a, a spectacular jumper, he was safe, and he's was economical. He's not kidding himself there. Yeah, he, he, he,
2: doesn't, he doesn't go to the front, win ten lengths, he just no. does enough.
4: He was a big strong horse, but he wasn't a heavy horse. He was very good compilation.
2: And of course those colours survivor as well. They were
4: There you are, yes. Well, he was
2: a very lucky owner, I guess.
4: He always his ambition was to win a Larkspur as well. To win the um the, the Derby and the Grand National. So when he won the Grand National, he gave the horse to the parents and headed back to London and he just cheap his ambition. There's no such thing as paying them any money to Keep feed the horse for the next 10 years. Oh my God. Anyway, he that was r- a little bit... He ran and parents ran him in and the stove and carried an extraordinary, tight track and top weight. And it just touched off and communications weren't great in those days. <laughs> and Mr. Guest wasn't a happy camper. So the horse went back to uh, went back to America to retire. But uh, Virginia, Raymond's daughter, was very upset with her father and she, she actually wanted to come to Tommy's funeral but he wasn't able to make it in the day. But he felt very bad about that okay. he could have won another national so that dude would have been placed together.
2: really mm-hmm.
4: he was good as ever
2: he was one of those magic horses and you've been lucky to have a couple of good ones yourself you uh, you rode the uh, Irish national winner y- yourself
4: I did um, I was very lucky to be associated with a horse called King Sprite, mm-hmm. who um, was trained by Georgie Wells who originally came from England to ride for Senator Parkinson on the flat and he developed um, uh, d- 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 uh, he got th- uh, jaundice and he went to a hospital in Dublin my father brought him back to Ferry House to recuperate and he spent three years with my father before setting up on his own okay. and so when I started riding he uh, supported me as a sort of thanks to my father looking after him and King Sprite was an amazing horse he was the first he was my second winner and the first winner I rode over hurdles okay. and then I was against amateurs then first winner I rode Overheard Against Professionals, which was four days later, Nays and Ferriers. He was the first winner I rode of offenses. He'd run the novice chase in Navin three weeks earlier with Tommy rode him. He was an odds-on favorite. And I said to Georgie after, shortly after the race, Bad luck, George. What do you mean, bad luck, Jack? He says, odds-on, he walks on. I rode him three weeks, three weeks later, in an um, amateur he won in down 7-1. to one. Okay. And he went on and, uh, he, yeah, exactly the... The day of the Grand National, uh, in fact, I'd ridden him the previous time in a hurdle race, and he won. And he got, I got, st- I crossed, and I put back to second. And his owners wanted to chop me off, but Georgie stuck by me anyway. And then uh, he's taking the saddle off me. I'm nine, ten, or something, so he's paperweight of a saddle. And uh, he'd had a few jars with fruit earlier in the day, and he asked me, I asked him, did he want a breastplate? he, I don't. I train. I don't train bucking greyhounds, Jackie says. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the horse, uh, everything was perfect in the race, uh, and he, he he won. Well, it was it was brilliant. Yeah. Nineteen
2: seventy one, no breastplate. <laughs> you never train a horse with a breastplate either. You must have been taking a little bit of that on board. There you are, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would start your affinity with Derish National, because yeah. you went on to train a couple of winners of it yourself. Talk yeah. to me about uh, Feathered Gale.
4: Yeah, Feathered Gale was. I think he was twenty five years later, maybe. Um he'd, he was, um, was he was a very good horse. It? Yes, that would be right, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh he yeah, he'd he'd won a go plate and uh um a, a, a Munster National. And um and then he was second in the Midlands national in unsuitable grounds. So again we were he he had a very good preparation for Fairy House. Uh, but more than his jockey did because Franny was the you know, Woods, wasn't it? Yeah, he did yeah. on a Saturday morning and he, he couldn't raise his shoulder. And I said, well, you can't ride on with He said, oh, I'll be all right. Fred Kenny looked after me. So Fred gave me a few jabs and put him <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Completely couldn't feel his shoulder.
4: Exactly, yeah. And he
2: went on. Did he beat Cool Dawn? And what was the other good horse? That was a very good race. Jodami as well. Jodami
4: was, yeah, yeah was a big horse at the time. Yeah, I passed him going to the last, yeah, Mark Dwyer. Yeah.
2: And yeah. that was uh, Fred Gale, an amazing horse. And then one of your probably best days would have been giving yeah. your niece the winner of the race.
4: Yeah, well, very much so. There was a lot going on there because I bred the horse with my great pal and first owner, Tim Murray, who owned the Brookfield, who won the Arkle, and uh, so um, that was um, very special as well. And my mother, I suppose, was her last days racing as well. She wasn't that well, so it was lovely that she was there.
2: Welcome back to Look on Sunday, where Dave has rejoined mm. us. You were interested. Arthur's done okay, isn't
3: he? Yeah, he was absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's, it's some career and some horses to be associated with. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And mm. I mean, horses like Claire von Davis I absolutely loved. I mean, he was such a, a tough nut, two-mile chaser. And I just loved the way he used to set himself in a battle. what about some wonderful memories.
2: Yeah, well, from some iconic horses to now, we have to talk about the present and the future, because... 26th of March, that means the Curra returned yesterday. That can mean any number of things. Soft ground, British horses taking our handicaps, and Aidan O'Brien working horses after racing. But let's begin with the Irish Lincolnshire. The handicapper did a fantastic job here, Dave. They were spread across the track. Aidan McGuinness had no less than nine contenders. He finished second, third, fifth, sixth, he got nabbed on the line.
3: He did get nabbed on the line. I mean, Saltonstall, what a horse he's been, hasn't he? Mm. Continues to be this high-end handicaps. But, I mean, what was fascinating, the winner and the second are travelling alongside each other um, at this stage of the race, the winner with the white face and the green and red silks. Um, uh, William Haggis ended up racing sort of opposite sides of the track, Almost he comes down the middle, Saltonstall Stall down the far side. He's an interesting horse, the winner. He looked like he was just the right sort of handicap project for the Haggis team last season, a late maturing, late developing horse. Didn't quite hit the target switch to handicaps but clearly now beginning to fulfill that potentially he comes from a long way back and he's checked in his room just inside the final furlong and I wasn't sure he'd got there I was traveling down on the train watching this on the racing tv app and I just lost signal near Stevenage
5: Oh, what a a, place I to know, it's signal.
3: a black spot and I was desperately trying to work out how he got there and it was just in the the last ride there he was just switching the momentum he got late it was really really tight but obviously a significant win for William Haggis before the turf season starts in earnest here because he's got a horse called Almabea in yeah. the English linker next weekend who's strongly fancied the rain's coming time for him. So, yeah, fantastic finish, wasn't it? As you said, the handicapper did some job.
2: Uh, Arthur, Chris Hayes mentioned after the race that when he spoke to William Haggis the instructions were to arrive late and Chris said, so inside the final furlong? And he said, oh no, no, much later than that. <laughs> As a trainer, <laughs> is that about as perfection when yeah. it comes to coming off uh, uh, instructions?
4: Yeah, well, it reminds me of Johnny on that good horse of... Um, well, soul Power, wasn't yeah, it? In, he, yeah, in, slingshot. And, and he told them in the ring, he said, you won't see me till it till pass the post." I
2: yeah, can. don't be looking for me, you won't yeah. see me. And of course, on the same card was the Park Express. Uh, Willie McCreary has had a fantastic time with Insinuendo. He's kept her sweet yeah. and back in training. She probably was entitled to do this.
4: Oh, ah, yeah, she's super mare and he's done a great job with her.
2: She's a uh, group one place, was placed in the Phillies and Mayors last year, she's group two winner, I'd imagine group one is, is all they want but you see Billy Lee's mannerisms here after the way yeah. he rides, he's completely in control isn't
4: he? That's right, yeah, it's great to see her back in such good form, it all goes well for the season for her,
2: Yeah, and
3: Billy's and a great trainer.
2: Dave, uh, she's what? Five or six, six-year-old now.
3: Six, yeah, and she, she was in the sales, wasn't she? The, the big sales at the back end and decided to race on for another season, and it, she, she was always looked the winner. She travelled beautifully with the race, as you would expect. And uh, know Woody was talking after, was that the Tattersalls Gold Cup's likely to be next. They're going to be targeting, as you would expect, the route one race hope that one I she runs well the curve as well. Yeah, it would look a natural spot, wouldn't it? Mm. I know that there was a bit of top Westover potentially, yes. It was one of the yes, races that yeah. Becky was throwing around right. after that run that he might come there. But mm. it would look a perfect spot for th- for this mare.
2: Yeah. And and maybe hopefully she gets ground she she deserves. She 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 could really show her potential. I thought the opener, the two year old maiden, we all love to see a good two year old maiden and Bocanero Forte, Fuerte, a horse that was entered in the Tattersall's Craven Sale, Adrian Murray, Ammo Racing. Kevin Scott, a significant win for him.
3: It was. What a way to start, wasn't it? It was really interesting that the market told you the story of that two-year-old maiden. The three that were for the money were finished one, two and three. And To kind of phrase you was by one of added, he was much the best, the way he travelled through it. He didn't look a typical early two-year-old either, plenty of size and scope. Um, he did it really nicely, travelled, lengthened all the way to the line. Green has grass in front. He is pricked. Plenty more to come. You wouldn't believe it. As you say, March the 26th, we were talking Royal Ascot straight yeah. away. We're,
2: all, it's, we're, we're lazy analysts, really, yeah, because yeah. there's plenty of races between now and An Ascot. awful lot.
3: I just would not worry about the ground, but he's a, from a, a group one winner we in the mud that is in the family. It was soft ground yesterday. He seemed to hit the ground quite hard. I wonder if he might be ground dependable. I'm a racing. Th- that's what they're of Randai is, the early, it seems to get a lot of early good two-year-olds will buy at the Breeze Ups, so they'll be active there again. As you say, this fellow was in the Breeze up so he won't be going there, it no, but he looks like he's a, 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 a... The first two-year-old race of the season has thrown up a really interesting prospect.
2: Yeah, uh, it's um, he doesn't just look like a two-year-old, though. He's by Wooden Bassett, he's a full brother to uh, Wooded, who, who won a group one as an older horse on soft ground. So he, he looks like he could be just uh, quite good. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, and uh, the, as I said... The career returns, the racing returns, the working returns, and we get to see some of the best horses off, maybe, camera. We had our cameras out after racing yesterday to see some of Aidan O'Brien's classic contenders. And what did we get a look at? I think Aidan took 23 workers to the courier. Donegal took a few as well, including his group and winner Proud and Regal. But in this first group, we're going to see Little Big Bear. We're going to see Meditate, August Rodan, Victoria Road mm. I mean, and Tenebrism amongst others. Not bad. Where's August Rodan? August is the far side with the green hat. Okay. The Antarctic is in front and the grey. Mm-hmm. Um and
3: a beautiful horse, Auguste
2: meditates in the second group, which is there's two following up behind them, but big targets lay ahead.
3: Absolutely. It, it's so exciting, isn't it? Just to hear those names mm. it went separate. I think August Rodan's the one that you just begin to get a, a little bit, I, I was looking of when Camelot was going for the Triple Crown to go to Ballydoyle before the St. Ledger. Unfortunately, it didn't work out there for him, but there is whispers or talk, obviously, within racing circles mm. that this might be a mm. Triple Crown loss. The one thing that's missing, really, from the, the modern Coolmore CV that haven't so missed much. so so, so with close, at least. Yeah. Th- there was a space created for the statue to go opposite Nijinsky mm. at the yeah. stud. It was, all, it was all in place for. Mm. Him to slot in, I don't know, it's an awful lot to ask him. But if he was to win the 2000 guineas, the next one, one step at a time, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: There, there is Meditate following up her lead horse. Uh, obviously, a piece of work on on, on the track, Artery. You're not going to show your cards, but she was so admirable last year. She ran a lot of times and arguably mm. saved the best for the Breeders' Cup. She was uh, an extremely good filly, and I'd no doubt if if uh, <coughs> she gets her ground conditions at Newmarket, she will be hard to beat, Dave.
3: Absolutely, but that's what's fascinating about Aidan—is it the two-year-olds? They run, they, they run often, and they and imp- keep therefore, yep. and mm. improve with the racing. It's absolutely, f- and then again at the three, horses that you think are Expose at the start of their three-year-old career—they'll just mm. get on and forward to trajectory again and improve and improve. And I, th- I think that's the sign of a a fantastic trainer when they, they get horses and improve them and bring them on even even when you think that well that must be its reached its limit it's a group two group three perform and two runs later they're winning a group one and setting setting off a role at the, the highest level I, I just find it fascinating
2: why is that arter that they can race and race and race and hold their form is it breeding is it the way he trains is it just hardiness or what is it
4: a lot of it is to do with the way he trains i'm sure um
2: have you uh, been down to Valleydore? I've you been privileged to be there
4: a couple of times, yeah, and you see something different each time as well. Like, you know, but it's, it's a tri- real privilege to be there, and it's an amazing setup. Like from the first time, to the second time in recent years. Um, the change was that when after they work, they go in, they go through the pool, and they swim um, and not once, twice, in and out, and then mm-hmm. so they d- then they scrape them off and lead them back to the stables. So. They're not so washed down after the work, instead they go into the pool, which is great for their minds yeah. as well. You know?
3: That's fascinating, isn't it? That all the success that he's had he's still looking for oh. ways to change and improve. Well,
4: every trainer every year is trying to find another, like Dermot said it a couple of years ago, they're all trying to find you know that little bit extra You know, to, from the previous year of what they did, try and learn from the previous year, and some little things, try things, mightn't always work, but we're trying
3: Fascinating. Yeah,
2: you can never rest on your laurels. You can never get complacent, and I think that kind of describes the ones, the hor- the the horses and the people who are maintaining success at the highest level. That's probably the key, isn't it?
4: And um, keep it simple.
2: And keep it simple. There you have it, from the wise man himself. though <laughs> uh,
4: uh, too, uh, Charlie Whittingham was the one who said, "Keep it simple," and Jim or, uh, and. Draper had one as well. I can't think of it right now, but it doesn't matter. Well,
2: hmm. in, in, in essence, we won't overthink. Yeah. And when we move on to our next guest, I'm sure he'll, he'll say something similar. Well, one of the biggest talking points on Friday afternoon after he released a statement, Brian Cooper announced his intention to retire with immediate effect. And I'm very pleased to say that Brian has taken the time to zoom in to us from his home in Ireland. Brian, how are you and how have you been since your release on Friday?
6: Hey, yeah, uh, no, um, all good. Um, and hectic, hectic, couple, couple, couple of, couple of days, I suppose. Um, it's my, my phone has been hopping, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been. A, it's, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks, now
2: I can imagine. Look, you've. You're 30 years old, you've won 39 grade ones, six Cheltenham Festival wins. We can, you know, relive the glory days in a moment's time. But I was taken, I, I read the Irish Times yesterday in your interview with Malachy Clerkin, and you quite honestly described what last week, I mean, Cheltenham week was for you in your mind on Tuesday, thinking about writing on Wednesday and waking up on Wednesday morning. Can you just talk us through what was in your mind, how you felt and how this all basically came to a head?
6: Yeah, look, I, I suppose it was something that I was uh, preparing myself for. I, I knew coming to that this was, um, I was going to be finished then. But I, I didn't um, expect what was going to happen over in Cheltenham. Um, I suppose the whole thing just got, got got on top of me and it caught, caught up with me. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't looking forward to it, and I'm supposed to put in words I was, I, I went to the races on Tuesday, and I was, I was on the hour, every hour, I was looking at my, at my phone, thinking about what I was going to have to deal with on the Wednesday, and I woke up Wednesday morning, and I just said, I can't, um, I can't do this anymore. So, it's. It it, I, it it was tough at the time, you know. It, it was, you know, I felt I let, I let a few people down, but it's a it's a weight off my shoulders, and you know, it, it's a decision that I'm firmly very happy that I've made now. With the fact that I have made it, and I'm looking forward to what's happening in the next chapter.
2: Absolutely. Look, I, I I think a lot of writers and a lot of sports people in general can. Relate, they can empathise, they can understand the, the emotions you were experiencing during, especially, the biggest week of the year the pressure, the emotion, and everything that goes with it. But, uh, you know, I read in, in the piece yesterday that you contemplated making this move back in, in August of 2019. Things weren't going your way. You had drafted a statement, uh, you went to Australia to clear your head, and, and you opted to come back. Why did you come back, and and what was the kind of stigma to, or the the stimulus to keep you going until twenty twenty
6: three? I suppose I, I, at that time I was probably at, at a period in my career where I, I was starting, things weren't going as well as they probably might should have been, and um, it was my dad and a few others. I said that you, you can't go out, you can't, you just can't finish on, on, on them parents, you know, so. He did. They, they cut we, we sat down and had a chat and they said that um you know you, you I, I think I wrote, I rode I rode a horse of his and my first ride back after I think about three months at won and then I got a bit of a bite for it. The Nolans were all, and James Nolan were a massive help to me. That you know we I got on a couple of nice horses again and I got a bit of a bug for it, but I always knew it was never gonna continue like for say I knew a bunch of this year, last year, that this was going to be my last year. I'd achieved everything I wanted to do and I was firmly content with what I was going to do next.
2: You were always looking to the future and uh, look, that's always a wise strategy to have, particularly when you're having... Uh, thoughts like that but of course it wasn't all uh, tough, it wasn't all negative because it seemed when you began race riding you were the most effortless and natural rider we've seen since Paul Carberry. I remember watching from behind you in the County Hurdle in 2013 to see Ted Ted Veal pull clear but the magic day, the real magic day has to be the 2016 Gold Cup, Uh, a dream fulfilled.
6: Yeah, it, it, it was incredible. You know, I, as I, 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 I think I, I think I spoke about before. I've many many uh, uh, finishes were written on the back of the couch. Winning a gold cup for me when I was a kid, and to do it at such a young young age was incredible. It, it's it's it, it's a memory that I'll forever bring, bring. You know, we'll look back on, and i was just so so grateful to being in the position to do it and, uh, and you know, he was incredible.
2: He was one of those, you know, he, he had that potential and he had that expectation with him. What was the pressure like going in? You were riding for Michael O'Leary, he was 10 years on from War of Attrition. You were a young guy in a big job. What was that feeling?
6: Yeah, there, there, there was a lot of pressure, to be honest, but I think I just somehow managed to put it at the back of my head, you know, we, we the, there was a big decision about picking the two horses that day because I, I could have rode Don Polly in the race as well and I had a massive kind of good record with him but it's kind of looking back at it now my decision should have been a lot it should have been easier than what it was but um, he was a, he was an incredible horse he's so much natural talent and um, you know Gordon and the whole team there prepared him so right for the, for, for the day and it was just it's a day I'll, I'll never forget, you know, it, it it was a blur at the time, but looking back at all the photos and memories of it now, it, it was incredible.
2: He would probably go down as the best chaser you've ridden, Brian, but would I venture to say that the best horse you've ridden is a certain our Connor and we must give special mention to his trainer, who was a massive part of your career, Desi Hughes.
6: Yeah, I I, I think he, he was definitely the best horse I've ever ridden. Um, and look, look, Desi was without without him, I wouldn't be where I I wouldn't have achieved anything of what I did without him. You know, he put me on the map. He's he set, set set my 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 career for me. You know, and um, gave me opportunities that I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have, wouldn't have got anywhere else. And I think that Cheltenham winner alone will probably be one that might mean more to me than anything else that I got to deliver a Cheltenham winner for him. After everything he gave to me, and I was, you know, I, I was, I, I, I'll never, I'll never, I, I'm forever grateful for that as well.
2: Yeah, he was truly one of those really special people. Um, but for you, Brian, do we have an idea what the next chapter holds? Are you holding your cards close to your chest, or what's uh, on the horizon?
6: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not stuck at crossroads just yet. Anyway, I'm. I suppose I've done a good bit of. Lot of stuff worked the couple the last few years, so I'm looking forward to probably getting more involved in that. And um, I suppose I, I've done I've done a bit of media work as well, so I'll be looking for a job somewhere there. Maybe maybe I can rob a couple of days after you and and this and this channel as well. But no, I, I I'm I'm looking forward to whatever I do next and working hard at it, and that's what I'm looking forward to.
2: Thanks very much, Brian, for coming on the show and taking my job. Uh, really appreciate it. Wish you all the best for the future.
4: Good luck, Brian. Well,
6: hello. Uh...
2: Hello, Colin Murphy.
7: mine Jane. How are you?
2: I'm very well. I, d- did I fail to get the invite last night or was there was there a little private shindig happening down <laughs> your way?
7: I thought nobody'd know about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we, had a, we had we had a good night. It was great. It was it a was great, um, it was a great turnout as well. So um, a lot of a lot of sore heads, in, including my own. So um,
2: well, well yeah. thanks for making the time time to join us. We really appreciate it. Look, Impervious has been one of the great stories of the season. She promised a lot last year, and she's fulfilling that potential this year. How has she been, first of all, since you brought her home?
7: Yeah, good. Not delighted. With her. Uh, came over really, really well. Um, yeah, no seems seems in good order, so um we'll um we'll we'll kick on again with her and not I I'm not sure where we go with her yet, you know, just 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 still plenty of festivals, you know, but um she's um yeah, no, she's 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 been she's been very good to us this year.
2: You don't have to worry about the next chapter just yet. You can you can just revel and enjoy what happened last week. Um going into Cheltenham she had you know, she was one of the, the big talking horses. She had, you know, a, a good run around under her regular partner, Brian Hayes, but as you're watching it unfold, how confident were you? What were you feeling off the home bend as you saw the big, you know, rich richy colours looming over your shoulder?
7: Yeah, so I, you know, we didn't know how good she was. Um we probably had a we had a little idea how good our mayor was, you know, but um, she was, she, she was, she, she's basically the unknown, you know, um, you know, probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been the biggest surprise in the world if she, if she had went on one easy and and, 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 saying that, I suppose, you know, it was, it was, um, I was one of them was going to get their, get their mass lowered, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, our, our lady, our lady kept pulling out and, and, um, kind of we just, Expose the, expose the other lady a little bit, you might say, you know, but, um, no, that's fantastic to come out the right side of it, um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, she's, she's an exciting mare to have.
2: She's terrier-like in her, in, in her attitude, you know, she's headed and she sticks her nose out and she, even when she's really long at her fences, she answers every call, doesn't she?
7: Yeah, know. she's, she, she's, she's one of those, no, I've, I've, I've no doubt now if you, if you pointed her at a wall, she'd, she'd try and go through it for you, you know, um, She's she's tough. She's she, she's very hardy. You know, she's she's one of those she's one of those mares now. You know, you, 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 it'd be hard to tell the difference between her herself and a gelding. So she knows she's um yeah she's, she's she's real terrier and she she tries she absolutely tries her best for it now.
2: You ride her out most days yourself. Um, I was having a good chat with our partner at Cheltenham, and he was she was saying that. Nobody can get near that mayor only only Cullum. And huh. Brian says that somebody else schools her at home. She's obviously got her routine, and 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 it's really excelling for her.
7: Yeah, I know it's the same. We don't we, we don't change much, you know. It's it's to get into a routine, and and if we're happy, we, we'll try and keep him happy, you know. Um, you know, she, she she was very difficult. She she wasn't easy. Um, as a youngster, Jimmy O'Rourke in Furnace has has done all the work with her, you know. He's he um. She she was she 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 was very hardy, even even last year you know. The, the, Jimmy was the only father that that could write her. You know she um, she's she's a lady now. She's not afraid to to put her put her put her back up and, and have a go. You know um, so yeah no, she's all, all all credit has to go to Jimmy to to getting this lady to what you see now is is more the finished article and all, all credit goes to him. You know she's um, she's she's not the easiest in the world now.
2: Well, she's tough when she needs to be, and they say all the best ladies are a little bit tough Um you yes. bought her along along with some of your best horses yourself column she was 26 grand I think at the derby sale and I think I remember you buying relegate for 35 or 36 as well is there similarities between the two or are they just two yeah, lucky dips what did you see in them
7: yeah it, again you have to be lucky as well you know but they're they're two racy fillies um, you know they're they're athletes and, and I suppose after that it's it's a case of what we can afford Um you know the They've two nice pedigrees that that we were fortunate enough to buy them when when they were when they were young pedigrees. Um, in the sense that they're they first folds out of out of out of unexposed mares, you know. So, but but they have real nice pedigrees going back. Um, and, and unfortunately now that they, the proper pedigrees pedigrees, you know, and crediting to themselves, you know. So um, yeah, I think you know it's, you have to start with a racy filly, you know. They're they're athletes. Um. And 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 then it's a lucky dip after that.
2: Well, sometimes I, I, I do think we all believe that you make your own your own look along the way within reason and you've certainly done that with those two mayors. I can't let you go without asking about your ten time grade one winner, your your champion hurdle hero of two thousand and six. How is Brave Inca?
7: He's good. No, he's good, he's very good. Um you know he's, you kinda have to you have to pinch yourself every now and again when you when you when you do see, see see the old videos and so forth, you know we're, we're so fortunate to get him when we were starting. Um, you know he's he's still here. He's he's going on twenty five now. Um, no, and and on Um he's 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 been a fabulous horse. You know, um, and um, no, he's in great order. Um, he's a he's 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 out here every day, um, or, or or he goes somewhere. You know, and it's, it's he, he's still the same. He's it's young. It's he's getting. Um, he looks a million dollars, and it's like I say, any any foreign we owe a lot. For, we owe a lot to him, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, he was. That was one of the real special champion hurdles. Max Joy, hardly useless, and more in behind. And I couldn't help but f- see the similarities between his toughest teak attitude uh, when I watched the mare stick her head down at Cheltenham last week. A real privilege to have had horses like him and Big Zeb. But now with impervious into the future I must ask Colin before you go obviously you took uh, a brief hiatus from training a couple of years back are you now at similar numbers as to what you had before or do you ever want to be uh, a similar establishment to when you had Brave Inca, Big Zeb and Feathered Lady?
7: Yeah no we, we, we have a lot of youngsters now you know it's, it's like only for only for Paul McEwan and, and, and all credit goes to, to Paul you know it's kind of we when 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 I did stop before, you know, it's the same. I was training, training wasn't 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 paying basically, you know. Um, it's a complete different business model now. We've a lot of broodmares. We 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 breed we we breed and and race to sell. Um, all our all all our young stock is for sale. Anything we don't sell, we'll race. Um, it's the same. We 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 we've, we've bought a lot of three year olds over the last number of years and, and it's like the impervious and relegates and so forth is all coming to fruition now so as such you know but um yeah it, it's again impervious is, is another example you know they're they're for sale the whole time and and and, and hence hence why she was, she was sold on um you know we're fortunate it it, it seems to, it seems to be working for us now um so it's yeah it's, it's it's like i say it's it's a it's a business model we have it's just fantastic that we're We're able to to keep a few of the nice ones and racing. Um, So for me anyway, it's it's the best of both worlds.
2: Welcome back to Look On Sunday, where the couch has got considerably more congested. Dave and I have welcomed Josh, Stacey and Andrew Blair-White to talk about the new phenomenon that is Let's Talk Racing.
0: Well, I wouldn't maybe put it that far. <laughs> um, Sell it I, to the people. I know it's it's great. Me and Josh have, have got a YouTube channel. Um, we, we we do an awful lot of kind of horse racing previews, reviews, trying to get a lot of younger people into the game. I suppose um, we feel we're we're getting there slowly but surely as well. Um, but it's a it's a good phenomenon. It's a good, I suppose, different thing. And uh, fingers crossed, it continues to grow.
2: When did this begin? Be- in, Josh and, and how did the idea come about?
0: So I I used to watch Andrew
8: on YouTube and uh, so
2: you already had your own channel. Yeah,
0: so uh, coming out of um, school, I'd had people coming up to me, you know, uh, as you would, you get round to Cheltenham or something like that. Thinking something. you were Nick Luck or something. Well, no, <laughs> I, I wouldn't wouldn't say that. But um, you know, I, I was I, I did a journalism degree in in uh, college back home and. Uh, they they kind of prompted you to do kind of external stuff, so I started up a kind of a little small YouTube channel, just me and the me and the camera of my my Mac, and that was it.
2: And was that the title, Let's Talk Racing, or did that come about a little bit later on?
0: That came out a later. So so I was a fan of Andrew, and
8: and I remember we just met, talking about racing. I think when you meet someone similar age, early twenties, talking about racing, you suddenly become friends suddenly automatically, best <laughs> friends overnight. Um, and uh, yeah, we got on very well, and then we started it about. Two Or three years ago, yeah, two now. Um, say. But it's been a slow burner, but now, yeah, it's getting there.
2: So, you weren't stalking him,
8: uh, 50 50. I yeah,
2: yeah. I've just exposed him on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, next, let's talk racing is born. Um, it's not always easy to start from zero. You're now to nearly 18,000 subscribers, is that right?
0: Yeah, it's going great. Um, we're very blessed with, it. I suppose, the people that are watching and seem to be enjoying it at the same stage. Um, we kind of took you know, with all these things, it does take time. As Josh said, it, it, it was a bit of a slow burner to start with, but constantly trying to do different things and um, trying to make the content better more and more, and, and, and Fingers crossed we'll continue to do that.
2: Dave, are you a, a podcast man? Are you a YouTube man? Do you get information from all the different mediums that are out there?
3: We really do. And we, I mean, Obviously, we're, we're a big organisation, and we, we do... Um, we do podcasts and we do YouTube, but d- what the guys are doing, Th- this is what's completely changed in the, the racing media when I first started oh no, 25 years ago. 30 in b- 2002. Yes. <laughs> no, people used to bring um, folders. That y- your CV was basically some printed out A4 sheets of what, y- what you'd written now. It's not just like CVs, it's innovations. And the, the, the guys like Josh Andrew are leading it. It's fantastic content. It's brilliant that people. Are exploiting the platforms that are available and just creating this wonderful content and it's free it's free we're, we're all playing catch-up in, in like mm. the main thing oh that's fantastic that's really good we we watch it engaging it. and it's tremendous and it's so good for the spark as andrew mentioned trying to reach to that younger demographic that's been the struggle trying to f- engage with a a younger rating audience and the likes of Let's Start Racing—they're doing it, and they're doing it for us.
8: And I think that's, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to make content that we enjoyed. I think yeah. we didn't want what, to go What as, your generation wants. Yeah, exactly. want, yeah. Um, and I, I think there's a obviously place for stats and, and, and different bits and bobs like that. We didn't want to have that. We wanted to have a general,
2: light. calm, light-hearted. It's heart a place to, chat. to be boring, and it's not on YouTube.
8: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. So uh, we talk about um, cliff horses, everyone has them, favourite horses, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we don't hide the, the fact that we do. And, and
2: and you have an opinion. I, I watched on the way over a, a couple of episodes, and I know myself, you have to have an opinion. If you sit on the fence, nobody's really going to care.
8: Uh, I think it works as well because, obviously, with the Irish English angle, I'm extreme, heavy, downscale to Ollie Murphy, Paul Nichols Bias, and I think you're the same. So we clash on quite well, you'd a few. You could tell them then. Uh, yeah, I did. Well, first well, couple of days, and, and that, that's had the a good thing. Few winters, we, we build up all year to Cheltenham, and then once it's over, you don't really know what to do.
2: So that was my next question: Are you guys completely National Hunt, or do you have? Will you roll into the summer, or no? Uh,
0: we, we usually try to take a, a couple of months off. I think it's it's. Better for us to kind of give ourselves a little bit of time. You go on to just say it, it? as yeah, yeah, yeah. a bit of recovery <laughs> time. But I, I think you can pretty clearly see on, on things when you watch them about people maybe not knowing quite as much or maybe not being quite as enthusiastic. I think it comes across on camera pretty quickly. Yeah. And we're just we we love jumps racing. I, I've been brought up by my dad. He loved jumps racing, and as much as. I'll watch plenty of flat racing. I wouldn't have the same amount of knowledge, and I wouldn't have the same amount of, I suppose, drive to do it. I think that pretty quickly comes across when when we're doing it.
2: Yeah, you, you, I always think you shouldn't underestimate the uh, intelligence of your audience. And if you're faking it, or if you're reading it, they'll expose you very early, and and they'll leave you actually
0: very early. Yeah, well, I think that's that's it. And I think we've, you know, to a certain extent, we've kind of smells what sells with with the whole ch- S- smells. What sells?
2: Smells what sells. So we have Arthur Moore's wisdom, yeah, and look. now Andrew <laughs> smells what sells.
0: Yeah, well, th- I think we've we've tried to do that with the Cheltenham Festival. Obviously, people love it, you know, and, and it is something to to um, you know lead towards. And I know there's probably a little bit too much talk about it sometimes when when we're in in the middle of November, December. You're getting to Hatton's Grace meetings, John. But it's what people are isn't.
2: interested in is what gets clicks. It, what's what people listen to? What people view?
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's what we've. Kind of hammered in on, and then we obviously we ha- we have a week or two of downtime now, and then we'll we'll ramp back up for the for the entry national for Ferry House for Punchestown.
2: Will you come across? Will you come across Fairyhouse and Punchestown?
0: Yep, that's the plan. W- would, d-
2: would you be swarmed by fans? Would you have to take a lot of selfies? He
8: probably will. Oh, no no, no. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's been like Cheltenham was was. Uh, quite a, a, a surreal experience for a couple of days. I was there for a couple of days, and, and meeting people coming up and saying that they watched the podcast is extremely rewarding, especially when they say that um, watching the podcast has got them more involved in racing. And that's kind of what we set out to do. So the fact that we can engage. Um, a new audience to, to racing of a similar age, then, then that's exactly yep. what we want to do.
2: And Dave, this is the new evolution really, isn't it? And this is probably where the future lies, so we have to embrace these initiatives.
3: Oh, it absolutely is, and this, this is the future. And you talked about the new media, the metrics are available for you to see. You know something's worked or hasn't worked because you'll get the dwell time or the viewing time. And you put out a half hour video and find out the average view time's 1 minute 23. They're all fantastic. We've really, really, <laughs> we've really nailed that one. That's one they
2: think. accidentally clicked on
3: it. Yeah. They <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like yeah. made a cup of tea and came back. <laughs> so, so but yeah, and it, It's just fascinating. And I'm learning all the time. I mean, you, you watch what, what people are producing. It's, it's just wonderful. But as you say, it's enthusiasm and expertise. That's the key. It, it's delivering to these people. I think it's fantastic that people have come up to your Cheltenham and, and said that. Oh, that's absolutely tremendous. And there's, there's no final compliment.
2: Yeah, and I I always think we're blessed in racing in particular to have access to, you know, our Jose Mourinho's and our Messi's because they are willing to come on, they're willing to chat. And how have you found getting guests and, you know, their willingness to, to get involved?
8: To be fair, we, we don't have too many guests. We kind of keep it um, between just, just just ourselves. Yeah. Um, we, we in the summer we went and, and sat down. we were very lucky to sit down with Paul Nicholls and, and Dan Skelton. And I think now I'm
2: understanding the bias. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when
8: everyone is talking about the flat mid-season Royal Ascot, we're just thinking about the Persian War at Chepstow yeah. and <laughs> w- what is Paul Nicholls going to run? Down Where is, where's the next second season novice coming from? Um, so no, it was really good. And this year I think we're going to plan to do some more and, and go over to Ireland and and speak to the Barry
0: Connells and and hopefully Paul Nolans as well. Yeah, that'd be nice. That's the hope, Amy. We were very lucky. uh, Mikey O'Sullivan gave us a a a bit of time just before Cheltenham as well, and I I think everyone's obviously seen in the last week or so just how good he is as a rider, but also how good he is as a a talker, as as a communicator. He knows his racing. He knows... What he's talking about, and um, he was very lucky. For, for for these people, it's it's giving up fifteen twenty minutes for us. It means a, an awful lot. Like it was a surreal experience being in Paul Nichols. We were treated as if we, me and Josh, owned fifty horses in there. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't. But uh, I wish I did. But you know, it's look, just if
2: this podcast got, takes off,
0: well, oh. <laughs> we might be able to clamor one together. But um, look, it's you know that's the the thing you're saying as well with with the access. You know that they actually do give you their time and you know they're, they're so open to, to communicating, to helping out and I think with both Nichols and, and Skelton they were both very keen on that initiative of getting the younger people into racing.
2: Well they understand that that's the future and uh, they're, they're embracing that and for you guys what's, what's the dream? What's the big end goal? If you say take my job, I swear.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I won't do that. I won't do Ian uh, like that. But I, I, I think Ga- Gary O'Brien is, is the man I've always looked at. I just Legend, think yeah. Gary's just mustard, really. Like He's uh, absolutely fantastic. I, I'm very lucky to, to have come over here to, to start working with Josh and with the team here, and fingers crossed that's where it ends up.
2: So I'll inform Gary <laughs> that he shouldn't rest on his laurels. Josh?
0: Any Lydia maybe? Uh,
8: I'm just happy to work in racing, it doesn't really feel like a job. Um, if I can do that and make a career of that then anyway. I'll it's be a it. great warrant to it be in. It is, yeah.
1: True wins the Kitco British Champions Long Distance Cup in the hands of Hollywood your far side, Brando, on the near side.
7: First, number five.
3: True self to
7: the top. Natal is coming home, best of
1: all, to win the capital of Nassau states under Holly that's Natal the winner. True is fighting back on the far side, and he's beginning to get there. True
2: She's doing pretty well, isn't she? Since her first stakes win in 2019 on Gorgeous Noor at, uh, what is it, six Group 1 wins now and a couple of those magic horses in between, Holly. Thank you for coming onto the couch, keeping me company.
5: No, thanks for having me. It's, um, yeah. Well, I figured
2: you weren't busy, you see.
5: I was like, who could I ask that isn't
2: flying around the world, riding these million dollar races, unfortunately, right now it's you.
5: Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't have any excuses to throw this again. <laughs> so... Uh,
2: the first question is, how are you? How is your arm? How has the recuperation been?
5: Yeah, I'm I'm really getting there now. It's, um, since my operation, things have really turned a corner. I, um, before the op, I wasn't, wasn't seeing much progress, which was frustrating, but, um... And why didn't you get the operation straight away? Did they not think it was necessary? Um, they thought I'd get away with not needing one. Um, they thought the ligaments would kind of heal themselves, but, um... I thought things were progressing and uh, it turns out we had a an MRI just you know a few days before I had the operation and it wasn't healing at all and they okay. were both completely ruptured still so it needed to be done really. Were you really
2: annoyed? Were you thinking cuz if that was me I'd be like why didn't we just do that straight away? Why didn't we spare time? Did, did were you annoyed?
5: I was very frustrated. I to begin with I you know looking at the injury I I was struggling to get my mind around how this is going to <laughs> get better on its own in the first place and it wasn't Um so it kind and of you don't want to question the medical profession no i don't know what i'm on about so um you know it kind of pushed me back another month um after doing a month of rehab with the hope of getting back so um but we're here now so yes
2: <laughs> you're on mend um i must <laughs> confess i i saw i saw the fall um you were holding your arm and you ducked under the white railing to walk into the ambulance Number one, how did somebody not not lift the white railing for you? And two, when I found out you'd broken your elbow and and ruptured ligaments, I thought that woman must have incredible pain threshold to be able to get up and do that.
5: Um, yeah, it was a strange one really, because I was just delighted that I could walk away and brush myself off. You know, when you have a fall like that, the first thing you're thinking is, where, what have I done? You know, and all I, all you care about is being able to get up and walk away, and then you kind of
3: worry about, everything worry else about after. what's happening yeah. and
5: um yeah it's just the initial relief of being able to walk away it's yeah. number one and then you kind of yeah i uh didn't realize that i'd done the damage i'd done really um but thankfully it could have it could have been a lot worse absolutely uh, how was the pain you you
2: realized obviously when when you cool down and the adrenaline's gone and the relief of everything how was the pain a, a broken elbow must be significant
5: um yeah it was okay i mean Worst pain I had was probably after my operation to be honest, I was very shocked, I didn't expect it to be that painful but um, on the night of the fall I dislocated my elbow but it popped itself back in thankfully because I, <laughs> I wouldn't have been one for volunteering for someone to do that for me so thankfully it, it did that itself but um, in doing that it then fractured the joint which is um, oh. what the problem's been really. Sounds um, like a mess doesn't it? But it's all been corrected. and. And back we're back. onwards and upwards <laughs> yeah. now,
2: so the, obviously the flat turf season started back in, in Ireland, it's, it's on the horizon here. Uh, what are you looking like time frame wise for your comeback?
5: I'm, I'm really hoping that within the next next two weeks I can be back in the saddle line. I hope I can ride out next week if I get the go ahead from my consultant in the morning, but um, we'll just have to see. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with how things are going, but um, it's not just down to me, is it? <laughs>
2: No, but uh, there's never a good time to get injured, but you know the big races will start from May onwards, so you'll have plenty of time hopefully to be back for what you hope will be the the big days.
5: Yeah, exactly. I mean, um it's been frustrating, but it it could have been a,
2: a yeah, a, a, f- a worse time. Anybody who saw that fall knows that you know uh, that, that the outcome is is probably as good as we could have hoped for. Um but you've had some great days. I I will confess, I've done some due diligence on you. I've contacted some of your friends. Oh. And uh, I said, "Is there anything that you would like to ask Holly that has not been asked already?" And uh, the first question was how uh, your retainer came around with Imat, and uh, the second one was, "What was that significant horse? Was it was it gorgeous Noura winning the stakes race, or what was that you know horse that put you on the map?"
5: Um, the horse that put me on the map, um, because yeah. it all seems to yeah. kind of
2: almost like an avalanche effect everything just started to happen and you started to roll very fast and as i said in the opener you've gone from having a stakes winner in 2019 to being the go-to person for the big day
5: yeah i mean i things didn't happen for quite a few years for me and then all of a sudden it kind of snowballed was
2: that a blessing in disguise in a way because you had that experience
5: i think so yeah i mean um obviously i didn't write out my claim very quickly it took me quite a few years so say Um, all of us yeah (laughs) and i i you know looking back i wouldn't change anything you know Anything, um, you know, I I was a slow burner, but I feel like in in that time I kind of got was able to sit back and watch things happen around me, kind of the do's and don'ts, how people dealt with different situations and hurdles in life. So um, I I wouldn't change change anything.
2: And and all that happening without the major focus being on you, Uh, I often see jockeys, you know, they fly through their claim and uh, they're maybe get a big job pressures and 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 things just don't happen for them and everything happens to be on the front of the racing post or in the limelight whereas you could do that get that experience make those mistakes without being the holly doyle we know today
5: yeah i mean i kind of probably everyone makes mistakes and thankfully when i was doing most of mine i was the eyes weren't on me yeah um which which is like you say a blessing in disguise probably you know if you for your, f- fly f- for your claim and then you're on, on the big stage and um, maybe you're not ready or you hadn't that much experience. Um, people are always watching you and criticising you and I think anything you do in life people are always downing you or criticising. If they're talking it
2: about is. you though you're doing something right, you know that. Yeah. yeah. And and since then obviously things have really started to snowball. You've been uh, taken under the wing of, of, of Imad and you've, you've got on some great horses as a result. Uh, Talk to me about uh, some of the best. Nashua is obviously the place to start. Such a special filly, such a fast filly. First classic win. What
5: what is it like getting on her? Um, Well, she's just um, a different class, really. I mean, to find a filly like Nashua, so early on with my association with Imadauska and Blue Diamond Stud has been um, phenomenal. You know, Um, every kind of goal um, I've come across the next one was to ride a classic winner and to have found her um it was pretty she's terrific. kind of
2: the you know every jockey needs the horse for rachel at home it was it was honeysuckle for paul town and it was probably album photo winning the gold cups and you need that horse to show that you can handle the occasion and, and excel she, she like you see her here in the nassau we see her in the prida diane she's done that for you hasn't she
5: she has yeah and um, you know before Nashua I had then Sheel and the likes of Trushan which kind of built me up to the higher level and then to take me to that next level i i've i found her thankfully and um, my association with imad has um gone from strength to strength and yeah thankfully she's staying in training another year that yeah was, that must yeah. have been
2: were you part of that decision making were you saying yes I definitely um, think she's going to improve
5: well i obviously I was always very encouraging <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I think she's going to improve as a uh, four year old i mean um yeah, but she's that small. I saw her in Epsom. She's not small. She's a big girl, yeah, and she's even bigger this year, apparently, and unfortunately, with my injury, I haven't actually been able to sit on anything um, yet, which is really frustrating, because this is a time of year where you're wanting to ride the T-Rolls and get a little feel off them, and um, I haven't done There's any of that. There's plenty of time. There's plenty <laughs> yeah. of time. Relax. Um, but, no, she, uh, her, her dam you know, thrived with age, um, so... Frankl's tend to she do all think. right with a bit of age as well. Don't yeah, they? exactly, and she's maturing well. Uh, you mentioned,
2: uh, well, obviously sh- sh- she's taken you to, th- to that level, but writing for the likes of uh, the Gosdens, uh, writing for Roger Charlton, the fact that you get to write for these big yards now p- opens your portfolio and, and, you know, makes those all-important connections, doesn't
5: it? Yeah, definitely, you know. Um, I did my apprenticeship with Richard Hannan, um, nurtured me along, and, you know, I really... I really loved working there, and uh, riding for for Richard Hannan was great. And as a as a kid, when you're growing up, to get these opportunities, you kind of had to pinch yourself, really. And lost my claim, and then kind of Archie Watson took me under his ring, his wing, and um, had plenty of success. And still, still, still work for Archie, which is great. And then kind of looking to always heighten your career, aren't you, and go to the next level. And thankfully, um, getting the job with Imad has opened a few doors um, with. The it's likes of John Goston and yeah. Roger Charlton and Roger Varian. So,
2: you mentioned um, Archie there, Archie Watson, incredibly loyal to you, and and very much so, regardless of whether it's Chelmsford or the Kura, he's always been your man. Uh, Glen Shield was one of those all important horses. Another massive horse. I remember talking about him at the Curragh and all of a sudden I was, like, "What is this big national hunt? Oh no, wait, it's the Sprinter. Uh, he he's tough, wasn't he? He was. You you actually really suited him because you get rolling and he gets going.
5: Yeah, he's um, he was a real grinder. I mean, when we first got Glenn, I think we ran him over 10 furlongs in the... Well, in I can the, see why. ..in a Lincoln trial around Wolverhampton, and he had been running over middle distances in France, and mud runner. Um, but he, we kind of, um, he was showing more and more speed, and Archie decided to drop him back and trip, and hey-ho, he becomes a, <laughs> it's a top new <laughs> Yeah.
2: He's, um, uh, he doesn't, um, you know, he's never a horse that's going to win by four or five lengths. He just digs in as much as necessary. Do you like riding that type of horse? Is he kind of one of those grinders?
5: Yeah, he's a real, a real, a real, gr- a real gr- grinder. He um, doesn't make your job very easy, but um, he, he gives his all. And I suppose that was his minimum trip, yeah. by a long way. So you know, he stays. But um, he always used to be a bit vulnerable to horses with a bit more, you know, more zip. Zip late on, yeah. Although he had plenty of early speed.
2: He uh, and in these slow motion shots you can really see your style and even though you're a small person you ride with quite a lot of depth and use every inch of your body I, I, I suppose in your are riding yourself you always have the kind of people you style yourself on what you aim to be but you have to kind of maximize what God gave you and how did you I suppose growing up who did you aspire to be looking like or to ride like and to how did you down in the current style that you have?
5: Um, I think growing up I was guilty of wanting to ride exactly like someone else and with my build and size and everything, it just wasn't gonna happen and I got to a point where I realised that and um right, I've gotta find what works for me and adapt and, you know, make that as best as um, Yeah, you have you to maximize yeah. your own Yeah, gift, so yeah. um kinda of when I accepted that and realised that, you know, I I I, I can't be when did Frankie you accept? To yeah, were, were we
2: after riding a few winners at that stage, or when yeah, did you no, accept? Yeah, I think
5: this? I was probably. It was actually when I was young, and I um, when I started out, we, I didn't have a jockey coach or anything like that. And I, I think it was when I started having like one-on-one um, tutoring, tutoring with Roddy Green, and he was like, "Right, show me what you can do." And he said, "Now, um, on the, this is on the simulator. Show me." Show me what you can do, and then he just completely said, forget, forget all that, now, now don't you, think about are it. Who you trying to be like? I used to really look, at, well, I obviously still do, I, I obviously was obsessed with Ryan Moore, and um, growing um, up I yeah. used to want to be a jump jockey, I but I didn't grow. You know, A.P. McCoy and Kieran Fallon. Um, You've you know, named three completely different yeah, different styles. styles. So that's probably why it wasn't working out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, when I kind of found my, my style it kind of, the penny dropped and I was away.